Cool. All right. Um, so we're uh, continuing our privilege and the nervous system talk mm -hmm. to kind of talking about privilege and movement culture and a more like socio-cultural level. Um, the seven questions that we've kind of had to kind of outline this thing. We'll start with number one. Uh, in what ways does the notion of privilege make you a bit defensive? And that will start with Jen. Well, I think it's interesting because it depends on your own personal background, right? So like for me, I did not grow up privileged in any way, shape or form other than the fact that yes, I am Caucasian and I always, my parents always made sure we went to good schools, even if we didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. So as a result, I got a really good education and that definitely gives me privilege as well. Mm -hmm. So those two things give me privilege, but at the same time, I never felt privileged. So I guess that's where I get a little bit defensive with it. I'm like, but mm -hmm. I don't feel. <laughs> yeah. I'm right with you. And when it comes to me, I'll, I'll kind of explain things for you. Um, yeah. Um, and then in the fitness industry, you know, privilege comes from being naturally athletic, looking a certain way. Um, or I hate to say it, but in fitness specifically, not the other movement modalities, but fitness specifically, if you're male. Mm -hmm. Again, I am none of these things. Mm -hmm. So as a result, I don't feel privileged there either, but I am educated, I am fair-skinned, and I am able-bodied. So as a result, I am privileged and I recognize that. So there's this very, I have a very weird relationship with the word. Okay. Gare? Um. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't really feel like I used to feel like offended by the word privilege just because I feel like when people are saying it and it's almost like they're using it as a weapon, like you, like you had all these advantages that I didn't necessarily have. And that's why you have the thing that you have, you know, and <clears throat> it's just because they're coming from a place of less than or small, or they see you having something that they don't and they want to pull you down to their level. And that's a very common thing that humans do to one another. You know, but I feel like we're all privileged in the fact that we are the member uh, that is still surviving of a lineage of people that is here that can do whatever it is that we're doing. So I feel, I, feel, I feel when people use privilege as that weapon, you know, they're not honoring you know, their, their ancestors. They're not honoring the fact that they're alive on the earth. Mm. You know, and I feel, I feel sorry for them. I feel sad for them, you know, but, and I also want to lift them up and show them what wonderful things that they have that they don't realize that they have, you know, mm. to, to knock out the conversation entirely, you know, but it is, it is a, a thing in culture for a reason, but I, I don't find myself offended by it anymore. I just want to help people understand why they're saying what they're saying to me, you know? Yeah. Um, kind of piggybacking on that. And I guess on both of you, it's uh, for me personally, I, um, my dad lived the American dream, right? So my dad was one of these people who um, came with literally nothing. And he was able to utilize his network of family and community and the ability to do any job when any job was available to have a middle class existence. Now, Growing up, I certainly did not think that we quote unquote had money. I mean, my dad had money, my dad supplied everything. Um, but this idea when someone considers themselves, when someone throws that word privilege, it's like, it makes you feel as if you haven't earned what you've gotten. 
And that is the thing that, that makes me a bit defensive. And when I, when I look back and I'm honest about things about, okay, yeah, I'm white. I did grow up middle class. I did go to school for very little because my dad was an immigrant. Like I did kind of get all these benefits because of that. But I also, at the same time, I think I made, you know, decisions about stability in what I do with my life and how I live my life. I, I, I never went for things that are expensive or flashy, right? I always go with, with as much as like the, the bare minimum as possible. So I understand, like you were saying, Gary, when people want to throw that word out. Um, and I think it's, it's in their intention to say, you're not better than me. Like, right, because, because if, if you don't, I think the notion is if you don't have privilege, then why aren't we at the same place, right? I think that's, that's the question. And so I don't necessarily, I don't want to, to put it on someone to say that they're trying to pull you down. I, I want to place it in the perspective that they're trying to figure out why they are where they are, they are and they see others where they are not. Sure. I, I can respect and appreciate that too. Um, Still, there's there's that aspect of it that you talked about that like why don't I have what you have you know uh, it has to be because you've had privilege more than I had right but everybody has opportunities in their life that they either capitalize on or they pass by and they let they leave behind and the simple fact that that person doesn't have what you don't have is because they aren't you you know it's yeah. not their past that doesn't mean that they can't have something that's very akin to what you have you just have to make the sets of choices that allow you to get into that space. Right. Right. And, and I fully admit, you know, people's starting place is different. We do not start out on a level playing field, but, I, but I also do think that the ability to identify and use opportunities to your advantage, like that is a, a path changing thing. And, and maybe that's a skill that, you know, I inherently was taught by watching the way my dad operated, right? And maybe someone doesn't have a dad in there, you know what I mean? It, trying to look at it from that perspective. Um, so how, I, the, I think all of us are kind of saying the defensive part comes from saying like, hey, your choices weren't necessarily smart. They were just choices that I didn't have. And that's hard for someone who feels like they, they, they try to make something happen and did so, it, it, it seems like it negates that, which is hard for people to take. Yeah. I'm always going to be devil's advocate on that one, though, and say, say that, mm -hmm. you know, there's this aspect of the self that people have where, you know, they pump the brakes on themselves. You know, they have this opportunity, they see this opportunity, like, ah, that's like just too far out of reach for me. Like, that too far out of reach for me is also saying, like, I don't want to change my life enough to have that be my reality. You know, and that's the part where like they're pissed off at themselves more often than not, you know, just like because if, if they are indeed measuring themselves up to you, then there's something in them that wants to be something that you are. Right. Yeah. You know, and they haven't necessarily chosen to gone down that go down that route. And to say that they haven't had the, the, the opportunity not to be you again, not in Oregon, not at your school, not at Woodburn, right? Um, yeah. But there are opportunities elsewhere, and it's—I don't know—it—it it, all just seems like somebody stopped looking, and then they start—they look back over the shoulder, like, "Hey, I could have been that," and then they're pissed off about it again, right? Yeah. yeah, and if you think of like psychology in that frame, like 
if you're in a rough place and you're angry, you're, you can't really be angry in that rough place because that makes that rough place even worse. Like you want to be angry about something outside your place so that you can kind of, again, safety, security, kind of feel all right about where you're at. Um, any uh, add-ins from you, Jen? No, I think, well, I, get, I think it, to me it all does partially based on what both of you are saying, it does come back to mindset, right? Which is definitely like, and that's one thing I know I always was fortunate for whatever reason to have. I was always like, oh, I don't have that, but I can get that if I work at it. Yeah. You know? um, and I think that that's something a lot of people struggle with, you know, and like, it's like what Gary was saying, you, you, if I don't, at some point you have to say, okay, I'm going to put in the work to get this thing, even if it looks unattainable or it looks out of reach, if it's something that you really want. Right. Yeah. Right. I think, and I also think, you know, if we subbed out the word privilege with advantage, right, that also skews things a little bit as well. Um, because nobody with this culture of working hard and, and like, you know, that the, the American dream that I lived and I had to buy it because I saw it and I lived it, um, that idea of working hard, it assumes that the people who got stuff worked hard and assumes that people who did it, did it. And I think the general consensus, hopefully by all, is that people have to work a lot differently in a lot different spaces. And yeah. right, that, that's a non-negotiable. So uh, let's kind of, let's push to number two. Um, Gary, you'll start with this one. What forms of privilege do you agree you have, have likely swung things in your favor? Um, gosh, I don't, I'm also um, the, the first generation here on both sides of my family. So both sides of immigrants. My father came from England. My mother came from Cuba. Um, and my father, not in like a traumatic way, but my mother and my, my Cuban family came to uh, the United States in a very traumatic fashion. But that wasn't the privilege and opportunity. But um, the place where I you know, was able to grow up by my mother working hard, you know, full time job with four kids, uh, my, my aunt and my grandma taking care of us when we were growing up like working hard to get to a place where I can do what I do now, you know, where I can be in this relatively affluent area and teach swimming and teach movement. And the, the area has a resource to support me. And I feel like I'm a piece of the community. And that, that is a privilege that I have been granted by virtue of everybody before me working to place me where I am now. So that's, I, I honor them for where I am and what I get to do daily. Mm. Okay. Jen? I would say that I am similar um, in that, again, I was given the opportunity to go to really good schools. I had a very good college education. And then through, I guess, I guess you could call it, again, because of where I was at with college, um, that was definitely a privilege. I was at UC Davis by the choices I made to work four jobs my senior year and to have three of them being fitness, I was given the opportunity to come to where I am now by being offered a full-time job. And that's definitely all, I mean, you can call it luck, you can call it whatever you want, but it was definitely a form of privilege. And that's, that path set me on this. So I'm very, very grateful for all of that. Um, you know, I like with Gary living in an affluent area, being able to do what I love, being part of a community. It's an yeah. invaluable thing. Yeah, um, uh, I agree all around. You know, it, it's interesting. I, um, 
other before this assignment, I never really thought I came from a very like supportive family as in like, I don't remember anyone telling me like, you could do this or like, I just, I, I, I grew up knowing I, knowing I could do it. So I don't know if that was again, watching people around me, watching my mom being like, I could fix this lamp and then just like figure out without YouTube, fix the lamp. And my dad being able to like, how do I make a life not knowing the language or this and that, like, oh, this is how I do it. So, you know, being white, being an immigrant's daughter made me have school cheaper. Um, the, the, but I really think the utmost ability, and this kind of comes from disassociation, to fully believe that you could do anything you want to do, like that insight, and for me to very clearly know the path, and I don't know if it is it a privilege, is it an advantage to be someone who is good at school, someone who understands how, how to do things efficiently, like I, I can zero in on what it is that I'm after, and everything else, I don't care about makeup, I don't care about your shoes, I don't care about your clothes, like, like I'm gonna wear this stuff that I have to wear to practice later, because it's efficient. And then, and I'm gonna go to school and school's gonna get me out of my house. And then once I'm out of my house, I'm out of here. Like everything was, was so clear in my mind and what I had to do to get out of that place to do my own thing on my own. Um, so I don't know if that's an advantage or a privilege, but I learned that somewhere. I didn't just, I wasn't ordained with this. So I, I think in similar ways, the way that we are raised and whom we are raised with shows us how to be or absolutely how not to be. Like, I don't want that. So all these behaviors, nope, I have to do the opposite. I got really good at doing the opposite. So. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head in a, in a very specific way about um, being able to choose, you know, this path. Like, you were hungry. That's something that I, I definitely see in you regularly. There's this, uh, this fire that's within you. But uh, again, if your family structure isn't one that supports you and, you know, you have all of these instances of trauma that you let repeat this like cycle of stress and, you know, lacking focus and jumping this way and grasping at this thing and grasping at this thing without ever actually bringing anything to fruition, then you're going to struggle. And then there are certain things that will come into your life that, you know, you latch onto that are sources of like, opportunity or love or nurturing or whatever that people get through life with but because their thoughts are scattered and they can't find their path and they can't actually look deeply at things they can't ever fully mature anything yeah and I, and I think maybe uh, something that we've touched on but like it's so it's such a natural life that we don't necessarily realize that it's unnatural for others is that I always had the bottom two levels of that Maslow's pyramid covered. It didn't matter what kind of like argument or whatever was happening. I was going to eat. I was going to have my room. Like that was never, never, uh, what's going to happen. It was like, you are always going to have these needs covered like period. And I think that absolutely is a privilege because when those are covered, you can climb the ladder, right? You can, you can move upwards. Yeah, you have some foundation. Yeah. Um, question three, how did you enter your circle of movement culture and how might have privilege influenced your means of getting there? Uh, I'll start with me. I haven't started yet. Um, so um, I grew up in athletics and sports, which 
were not as it is now. It wasn't many professional athletes. It was like church league and like you go to school and I could, oh, if I go to practice and play this game, that means I'm out of my house more. Perfect. Like this is exactly what I'm going to do. Um, so athletics was, but I don't consider sports and athletics movement culture because it's, it's too systematic for it to be this kind of outskirts. Um, my entry was um, rehab um, when I got injured and when the professionals were like, you're good. And I was like, but no, 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 I'm, I'm not good. I can do barely anything that I used to be able to do. And it was just kind of like, no, like you're set. So it was that disconnect before the people in charge, the professionals who I was supposed to trust, telling me that you're fine and me being like, I'm not fine. So me not, me not feeling that I'm fine shifted me to figure things out on my own. And I think that, I think that's what the origin of movement culture was doing your own thing in your own way. And it might've strayed from that away. And, and now that it's a thing, everybody wants to do things the same way as the gurus do it. But I, that's where my entrance was, was like, all right, it's up to you. Take your own path. Uh, Gary, if you want to follow up. Um my uh my path towards movement i'm going to go the long route on this one um but um my mother as like immigrant families like i feel like they always tell you that you're going to be a doctor and like i <laughs> i was i was the kid in the family that they like doubled down on as far as like school is concerned because i was always good at school um and uh my first day of school, my mother always tells me this, like that I was like crying on my first day of school. And I, and she's like, what are you crying? It's like, I, I, I told her like, I can't go to school. I don't know anything, you know? And, uh, that, that moment kind of, they pushed me towards this route of you're going to be a doctor. So I, I did well in sciences and I, I really honed in on anatomy. Um, and then after that in college or not in college, but, uh, when I was finishing up high school, I met my wife. And she was a uh, swimmer and water polo player. And I didn't play, I didn't swim, I didn't play polo, I didn't do any aquatic sports until I met her. Uh, and I was so um, you know, captivated by her and in awe of her prowess that I, it bled into my life. And then I, you know, got lifeguard certified so we could try to start teaching at the same swim school. Uh, she got hired at the swim school. I didn't get hired at the swim school, so I went park and rec. But then they eventually took me back uh, at the end of the summer because they were needing. And then my career as a movement educator just took off. So I got into the, the practice of teaching humans of all ages to swim, uh, getting them to organize their bodies, uh, then uh, pursued a degree in kinesiology, and then followed that with um, after, after I graduated, I started working in physical therapy. Mm. So then I knew I wanted to be somebody who helped others cause I was groomed to be that person. Um, and physical therapy was the thing that seemed like the thing that would satisfy that most. And then after about eight years of working in physical therapy, I realized that wasn't the case. And, uh, branched off into the movement education that I do now. Okay. Jen? Um, my route was a little bit circuitous as well, but to make it on the shorter side, after realizing my initial career plans weren't going to work out, I 
kept taking science classes in college, even though I was not necessarily good at them or talented at them, and ended up with a degree in exercise physiology. And just sort of by chance, I was offered a full-time personal training position. And I'd done a bunch of things to ensure that I would be in the fitness field in some way. I was promptly let down by fitness in general, just because at the time, it was the early 2000s, it was very biomechanically based. And I had a lot of chronic pain and my clients were coming in with all kinds of weird stuff. And I'm like, how can I actually help these people? And I feel like there's more than what's being offered to me. So I got into yoga. Yoga let me down very quickly as well, though I stuck with it for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) But I kept searching. Yes. things while I'm searching for the answers. Mm-hmm. I kept searching and after going back to graduate school, I re-fell in love with motor control and psychology, um, which had been an interest of mine in college as well. I did a lot of neurology and uh, behavioral sciences. And that sort of sparked that and then being exposed to certain things on the web, like seeing some movers start to move because that was just starting to happen. That was like 2010. I'm like, okay, these people move in a way that I know is possible. So how can I get that? Uh And that is how I sort of, between my education, my own personal like search and education, and then just kind of watching people is like, how can I get what they have? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what led me down this sort of path. Yeah, it seems other than like mindset and, and timing is a big thing. Yeah. Um, the other is like how we are able to work in this field. You know, again, advantage, opportunity. I, I know for myself, I was seeing, I was in pain um, in the injury and I, I was seeing this chiropractor and I'm on the table and this chiropractor is like, you know what? I'm telling him what I'm doing to try to like get to where I was. He's like, you know, you should work for me. Like I'm on the table and I like turn around and I was like, Really? He was like, yeah, the next, and I was like, all right. Again, this up being like, I think I could do this, that mentality. Um, the next day he just emails me his credit card. He emails me his credit card info and was like, get what you need. And I was like, okay. And that's how it started. Like, just like that. Um, so again, when you talk, we talk about privilege, I don't know if it's privilege or advantage that this person was in my life. The timing was there and, and, but constant as I said, yes, I think I could do it. If I, if I don't, I, I'll be honest there too, but I think I can figure it out, which it tends to be like a circular theme here. Um, number four, um, everyone here was in the last chat, yeah? Okay, so I, I remember when Dare was talking about the privilege of disassociation. It really struck me and it's something I've thought about since. Um, I'm not sure, did it hit both of you the same? And if so, what did you kind of, apply that to if I start with Gary um I it did strike me I hadn't necessarily recognized that that principle of you know the privilege of dissociation being that if you are like he he mentioned it like as a monetary thing Mm -hmm. where you have you know you have the ability to not look at terrible things, to not look at, or not even just not look at terrible things, but to, to not pay attention to certain things that exist in the world. Yeah. And, you know, that aspect of, that by virtue of social media, the internet, having your world at your fingertips and, and being able to very specifically choose what aspects of humanity you look at, you know, we all have that privilege um, of dissociation at some degree. And, you know, with, you know, working with affluent 
families, uh, that, that aspect of, you know, having the money to pay me to be whatever it is that they want me to be for their family, for their kids, because not everybody who comes to the establishment is exactly looking for the strong push, you know, um, that sometimes they're looking for a babysitter and, you know, they can sometimes pay for that. And, um, just, just because you have the privilege to be able to like dissociate doesn't mean that it's healthy. You know, I think that's another thing that was brought up, um, in, in, at least within me, um, because it denies some aspect of reality. It, it, and that in, that in and of itself is the perversion that makes us have conflict and all these problems, you know, so it's it definitely resonated with me hard. Mm. Jen? Um, yes, similar to Gary, I'd never thought about it that way. Um, and then it was interesting because it did make me reflect, I like to travel and I really like to talk to the people who are providing services for me while I travel. And you start to realize that there's so much more than what we experience here in our own little personal bubbles, you know, just it's, and that's all, whenever I, whenever I travel and I talk to people, like I, being in Bali last year, I was talking to one of the cab drivers and just realizing what his world was like compared to mine and how, how much harder it was, but how much happier he was than so many of the people that I'm in contact with regularly. It was, yeah, it, so my experiences plus what Dara said definitely both uh, struck me and have made me reflect more on that since then. Yeah. Um, uh, same, same with me. I, I, I think for myself, I confused or covered up that idea of privilege with the notion of self-reliance. Um, like that, like I have left and walked away from all the big things in my life like without a second thought and when it's done it's done like i you know family rugby like i just leave like if there's you know if i'm in a relationship with someone and it's not going well I'm like i'm fine without you <laughs> there's, it's like it's like uh i i this this concept that you don't have to work to make things with other people work because you're fine and and that really because I've done it my whole life, but to, to look at it and be like, that is a real sense of privilege to know you're going to be cool. And when you get to curate your own bubble, when you get, when you get to live in your own world that you feel you've made on your own and you are the, the source of it, it makes you think like, well, why do I want to enter that chaos? Like, I just want to keep it there. At the very least, what I've learned lately is, you know, I'll, I would like to bring people into my safety bubble. Like, that I can do, but I don't know if I just want to, like, jump out into the ether. Um, so being able to acknowledge the way other people live and then to, and again, this is the weird white savior thing where, like, let me help them because that's not where I'm at. It's more like, let me just acknowledge where they are at. Let me understand that is, is where I'm trying to be right now. That's what I'm learning to do. Um, okay, uh, number five. Uh, in what ways does this industry limit or restrain access to keep it health, wellness, movement, culture as a marker of privilege? 
And Jen, we'll start with you. Ah, it's because you know I get heated about this topic. No, I'm Ah, well, I think it starts with the research. The research is mostly done on healthy athletic college age students. Mm -hmm. So you're getting information that is appropriate for a healthy athletic college age students. And then you're trying to disseminate it to people who are not healthy athletic college age students. Mm -hmm. And that right there sets up something that is, is making fitness and movement and athleticism, all of it, a, a privileged thing. Because these people, these individuals who aren't those things, they look at the information that's out there that's being put out in the media and they're saying, well, I can't do that. So it must not be for me. Mm -hmm. So then they don't do that or they don't know where to start. Yeah. And so they just don't, or they have to get fit before they contact you or whatever it is. And I feel so much for the people who have chronic pain who don't look a certain way so they don't feel like they belong in that sort of setting, um, let alone, you know, the financial burden, because mm -hmm. there's definitely a financial barrier to, it costs money. It's an extracurricular activity. Um, so there's definitely that. So all of those things, I think, definitely make uh, health, wellness, and movement culture a marker of privilege. And the people that talk about it, they look a certain way, they act, you know, I don't know. It's a big, it's a big thing. Yeah, uh, it, it, it certainly is. Um, it's interesting. The words that you say, and many people feel this way. I can't do that. Right. All we've been talking about is no, 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 there's a way to do that. That's, that's been our moniker, but to, to enter that person's headspace, you know, it's funny. I was thinking, you know, like something came to mind about like, you know, particularly, in the, the swinging ball and fighting monkey, right? Like such a simple tactic. And in the world of fighting monkey, like you just take it and go and you can do it, you can do it. And I'm in class and I'm like, these guys don't know how to hold the string. These guys don't know how to keep the ball going for more than 45 seconds. Like, so like, it's like one of these things where you have to scale back and I have to take half the class to let them know how to move this ball. Like that's that reality, right? That's that out there. So for people to be like escalating, 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 again, it starts to look like a pyramid where there's this fraction at the top and this is what people are seeing. What are all these people gonna do, right? If this is the different and better, how do I get there? And that's why it's privileged and that's why access, that's why this, everything that I, that I put out there is going to be free because I do not want to limit, I don't want people to find it and then have a firewall, like give me your credit card information before you read the rest. Like, I, I, that's terrible. I, like, that, that is not the way to buffer the bottom. That is the only way to keep people looking up at the top. Uh, Garrett? I feel like you need people to look at the top. You need, to, you need people to see the whole perspective of what's, what's going on in a movement practice, right? Because we, everybody needs direction. You know, what, what we're talking about is that uh, often people are, like we were talking about with D.A.R.E., uh, people are often using comparison and looking at the end result and being deterred by, uh, oh, I can't go. I'm so far away from that. I can't, I can't participate in that. Um, and like you're saying, um, the foundations that are built that afford people to have those moments up at the top are not looked at and they're not celebrated you know they're 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 looked at as menial and trivial and i feel like that's 
part of the problem with humans generally is we we look out so far, you know, and then uh, for one reason or another, we don't start taking those steps. We don't really understand the bottom steps and how to build those foundations to get to that point. And, um, I feel like the fitness industry has like a big, um, they're very culpable in that uh, because of the things that they highlight and what they support and what they promote and the kinds of behaviors and the kinds of movements that they're participating in um, are generally very dysfunctional to the degree that a lot of people get injured when they try to do them. You know, and I think the main problem is that humans don't really understand what their body is capable of and what their body does. You know, and in that light, if people have a better sense of how to move their body, what a hip does, what their feet, all the play that their foot has, when their foot grabs the ground, that the reaction is this through the entire kinetic chain. With that intimate understanding, people can go into whatever movement modality they want to and very quickly achieve the top step. Because the foundation of all this is an understanding of the human structure and human function. And that's missing in education by and large. Mm. Yeah, and, and you know, piggybacking on that, and as a proponent of that, it's tricky because when you try to lay this out, because you're like, can we just play, right? The, so, so, it's, so it's just weird, again, you, you, you know, I took that tactic where it's like, I'm just gonna give you, I'm gonna give you guys all the foundation. But again, similarly, they're looking up at the top of the pyramid, like at these kids next door who are able to play basketball really well. And so you have to scale it back and it's like, okay, so they want to be confident at basketball. So everything then has a framework of, all right, I need to explain this, this, and this so that they get better at basketball. Now they're more confident. They're more confident. They play more. They play more. They learn more. So it's all this level. So it's the ability to kind of scale to, not only to their ability, but to their interests so that they have buy-in. And that's really freaking hard. It's really hard to kind of put those pieces in. And I get why a lot of people don't want to do it. I get why they just want to give them the ball and have them go at it without paying attention to what they do with the ball and all that, especially when there's so many levels, different levels, and there's so many flipping kids in the classroom. Like when you're looking, again, it's what you're looking, when you're looking at management, all right, is everybody doing something? A lot of people are like, I did it. No, like what are they doing? Like that's the next step to get to that, that a lot of people don't have the energy for it. And I understand. Um, so I'm fully with you. The how systemically is a difficult, long process. And it will yeah. need to take a lot of other people saying that stuff, look at the bottom for people to recognize, oh, that's also kind of sexy, right? That's also kind of neat and hot and cool that I just got faster. It isn't a fixed state. Right? Like I just got taught something, applied it, and my performance went up. Like, oh, it's teachable, learnable stuff, trainable stuff, yeah. which, is, which is a the bigger you know, picture. Anything I want to address, address just one thing that you said of like the it's hard. You know, Dare, Dare mentioned this, um, that, that feeling of anger of like the it's hard is uh, it's like mourning uh a leverage that you don't have you know to change the culture in a way or that the culture is set up in such a way that the the 
you don't have the leverage to teach the thing that you want to teach because there are so many things in the culture currently that are kind of pushed or stacked against you, right? You know, so the I think the answer in that point is just reshape the culture and continue to be an advocate for a culture that's healthier and more sound and more connected and 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 more enriching. Absolutely, you're one hundred percent right. Um, and to further that cause is you you do not take the earth and you are a tiny ball of self and like go at the earth. You have to inhabit the present culture and find the ways within it to make the shift. And that mindset has been, oh, I need to get into what they, what they want and what they like. And from there, I make the little adjustments. As small as it may be, like that's how you shift the big thing. Similarly, like you have to enter the mainstream to get enough eyes, to get enough, oh, this other thing exists, for people to start to make those little ticks in that direction. Um, so absolutely following what you're saying, it's the, the how you do it, I made it a lot harder personally than it could have been until I figured out how to be subversive within the mainstream. Yeah. And I'm, not, I'm assuming you guys feel similarly in your own, even with your, um, in your own practices and own working with people. Yeah. I did definitely have that, that notion of, you know, people seeing the stuff that I do or the, the movements that I present and recognizing like, oh, well, that, that looks a little bit like this thing that I've been doing, but he's saying something a little bit different. So I'm mm -hmm. going to investigate that, you know? Um, and I think it's more because I'm asking people to look inward, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the practice. But uh, yeah, it's, you definitely have to infiltrate the culture and morph it from within. Yeah, it, it's, I think it's, it's the tiniest shift of attention. Have them do what they're doing. What do they notice? If nothing, give them a point of attention. And then with that thing they notice, that's where you start. Like, so that, again, that as far as like, how do you make that shift? Um, even from within, like, where do you start? You start with what they naturally do. So the, it was big, big for me. Um, okay, now six and seven, the bigger questions. How might we renegotiate money and time as a form of currency that pays us for our work? How might we reach those who might not have either of those resources in excess? What might this mini culture be fueled by if not those two already accepted exchanges? And I am on myself to lead this to start. So um, my perspective is it starts with that idea of attention. We have to, we should start paying attention to the people no one's paying attention to. For me, it was the kids that were not good at PE, right? They, they didn't know what to do on their own. They didn't follow the structure. So I was like, oh, well, I'll take them. And then we learned to build something new with them. And that new has evolved. I think it works in, in the same way. Instead of saying, because I understand how it is excellent and gracious to be like, I'll do this for free. Just get to me. And 
again, looking out to the reality, they can't get to me. How do I go to them? How do, instead of saying, I can help you, I go to them and say, how can you help me? Like, how do we flip this power switch as to who has the answers? That is where I think things are going to start cascading, um, giving them our attention and letting them teach us. Uh, if I go from there to Gary. Um, I, I like that. I like that shift that we're talking about just because it's that reciprocal relationship that, um, you know, establishes a whole, you know, it, it both sides have something to offer in even in the teacher student scenario it's uh, as I teach students they also teach me what about my perspective works and what doesn't and it shapes um, what I'm allowed to give and just the fact that like you said you can give attention um, to, to these people that's it's a resource but the renegotiation of uh, time and and money and how you have, how you can stay afloat in that uh, culture that we're presenting is is very tricky. Um, we all have things that we can give, um, but the current system of surviving in our country is one of that money for time. Yeah, you know, rather than resource for resource, mm. you know, it's. It's not bartering anymore. It's it's separate from that. You know, our our time has been monetized in that way, where, you know, Andre, for example, beautiful man, uh, his his time creates resource. It creates this ab abundance. It creates this thing that he can give to others in the world without without you know, and that's essentially currency, right? So. How do we get? How do we create a mini culture that affords us the opportunity to give what we give, and also have people give us what they give, right? That's not money. I don't. I don't know the answer to this one. I've been. I've been mulling it over for a while. The only thing is to change the culture to a resource-based economy. Hmm. Hmm. Jen. Well, and I think there is something about energy exchange. I know that's been talked about before. So when someone gives something, they actually take a little more value in what they're receiving, regardless of what it is that they're giving. I mean, we all give by teaching. So we take a lot of value in what our students teach us. Mm -hmm. You know, there's that reciprocity there. Um, from the student's perspective, though, giving something, whether it's money or whatever it is that 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 makes them feel like what we're giving them is maybe a little more little more valuable. Hmm. Um, and I do think like some of the think options online now where you can just set up a donation base, you know, I have this product, pay what you want. I think there's value in that because if someone finds the information useful in some way, but they don't have very much, they can give a dollar. And that's still something, that's an energy exchange, right? So I think having more of those types of options available for people who don't have the resources to go to classes or to take privates or, cause again, all of these things, there's a huge cost barrier with all of this. I'm not oblivious to that, you know? Yeah. Um, but most people, you know, if some, if they value something enough, they'll be, they'll be able to find a dollar for it. 
yeah, it's it's a strange thing, you know, uh, you know, because because Think Movement has donations and zero donations have come in. <laughs> yeah, the um, and I also consider myself um, in thinking of that. I don't remember what it was. It was a famous band, um, maybe a decade ago. They put out an album and they're like, pay what you want. I'm like, I'm paying nothing. Thanks. Like, right. And that 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 is mine. And, and that was really good. Oh yes, yes, yes! You got you get me, Gary. Um, and it was like awesome. And it was like this weird, like I got this thing for nothing. And now you think of like a Spotify and stuff. All people are doing is putting it out there. And I, I really think the value, other coming from a person who has a stable economy, that is the asterisks. But other than this idea of money knowing the customer, customer's even like a shitty term, um, to know that the person on the other end of that thing has value. By you wanting or even taking this thing, you have value. Like, how in that way, how do we wedge, make that wedge, right? Because some teachers don't get this, but without your students, you can't teach, right? So. So how do you express gratitude toward those students versus like, you're here, do what I say, like you have to be here. How do I make you like being here? How do I make you wanna come back and not skip, right? How do I value as a human more so than a commodity? And I think Jen had to leave for a, uh, she might be out, she had to leave to go take her husband to the airport. Right. Um, oh yeah, yeah, she did, she has a message, so. Yeah. But yeah, but I, I think just uh, honoring other humans is a, a, the, the main tenet that um, we're talking about here, just to, to recognize that we're not just performing a job, but we're also, you know, in service to our fellow men. And I, I think the thing that we're talking about here is how can we be more of service and in service? How can we give more to people who, you know, aren't seen, who don't have the advantage or opportunities to pay for classes and, and that aspect. Um, and I think, I think it's to have a certain amount of things, not withholding, but a certain amount of things that are available, that are quality sources of education that aren't necessarily for a cost, but to hold certain things and not, again, not withholding, but hold certain things at a higher degree of pay, right? Give them the foundations, give them the opportunity to experience the foundations, you know, at a donation based rate or just at a, a free rate and then start building up their world to a degree where then they can start working towards those bigger things and they can start paying those other things. That Radiohead album was amazing. And for them to give that away for free was such a badass fucking move. Yeah. And, and again, took advantage and, and appreciated it. And, you know, when you talk about the appreciation on the level of the receiver, I appreciated it as a thing. And I really appreciated that I didn't have to pay anything for it. You know what I mean? Like, and I guess sure. that's the, the fact that it was free didn't make it lesser. The fact yeah. that it was free almost made it more exciting. So, so yeah. you know, I'm not sure how to capture that in this realm where everything's already out there. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like if you, if, you, if you do the digging, it's there. So 
you know, especially with this, with this little like network here. Um, like we want to make it really easy to find stuff. Like here is, you know, it, it's one of those things. I always bothered me when someone would go to a workshop and they'd be like workshop review and they would just tell how they liked it. They didn't tell anything that happened. Like, no, I'm, I'm looking at this cause I want to know what you've got. So that's yeah. what I started making. Like, this is the stuff that actually came from the workshop. Um, but that's what I valued. You know, I, I, I value the information and my ability to sort through it as valuable or not versus someone's review of it. Yeah. So, I, th I think with uh, the Radiohead analogy, and I like that this is where things have gone, um, is that they were already vibrant. They were already a yeah. very bright light. And they, they spent time, you know, they weren't great. For, I, guess, I guess we have to be, you know, that band. We have to, like, continue buzzing. We have to continue, like, radiating, holding up the light for people to see it. And then, you know, it's it'll be early adoption. People will start buying into it. They'll start seeing that there's a different path and then they'll go towards, right? That is a, that is a, an excellent point that I did not consider. They were already a thing, right? Um, yeah. So, and even too, if you think about the idea of streaming where, I mean, I think I pay like $5 a month for Spotify and Hulu and mm -hmm. all these people are making stuff and a lot of it's really, really good. And um, the feed every Monday and Friday tells me what's valuable and what I think I like. And you know what? A lot of times they're right. And it's awesome that I don't have to sort through all this stuff. They just give me recommendations. And when I like it, I change it. Um, if I do, I save it. Uh, so it's, it's this weird dichotomy of, you know, what I used to do, which was like print out things and put them in a binder, early internet. When you're like, I don't know if I'm going to find this again. Um, let's move to number seven here. Uh, how can we do a better job of creating and promoting a community where all are welcome and have something to offer, which is kind of this nice circular ending here. Um, I'll let you take the reign on this first one. How do we create a community where all have something to offer? Um, and are welcome, yeah. And are welcome. I feel, I feel um, we kind of already touched on it a tiny bit is just to, Know, say that this is an open space, you know, invite all people. You don't have to have any of these prerequisites, mm -hmm. you know, before getting into it, but to, I can meet you on whatever level you're on, you know, and I am happy to be and teach on that level with you. I'm happy, and and uh, just acceptance and yeah, the abandonment of prerequisites, I guess. Yeah. To, and I think to just to really encourage wherever people are at. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I really enjoy that when I look through the list of contributors, there's some really big names right next to people I would have never heard of and wouldn't have if they, and they're side by side. It's an, it's an equal tier. Um, these guys might have made more stuff, but these guys, they're held at the same accord. So this idea that I value your perspective wherever it's at, I don't care how many followers you have, like if you have something to share, it'll go up on the same board as everybody yeah. else. Um, so I think we're on the right track there. And it's slowly starting, I'm slowly starting to get more and more folks being like, I also have something to say. And maybe that's, that's the other thing about privilege is to let, give it the time to organically develop 
right? To not say yeah. it must, it must, like, again, like, I'm going to be okay either way. Like, I can keep infusing this thing because I have this steady other. This is like my side project. Um, yeah. and, and it can be because everything in my else's life is stable. So when we talk about how do we give away the excess, I, I, I hope I'm really trying to live and embody that in like, I have more than I need in so many areas. So how can I give you some? Yeah, you know, with like what I've been doing with my Tuesdays, you yeah. know, I've been I've been giving away my six PM time slot and you know, part of me is was apprehensive about, you know, offering my time for free because then there's that diminishing uh representation of what value is, mm -hmm. right? Um I understand outright that my perspective is valuable because I see how it helps others. And, you know, I've been offering people the opportunity. They've been taking me up on it. And I kind of, I calculated it out amongst my waking hours. It's 0.8% of my waking life that I'm giving away to others. And to, to really kind of take inventory of like that. I, it, I'm not necessarily coming from a place of scarcity. Like I want more. Mm -hmm. Right. But currently I have an opportunity to give a bit, you know, and I think that's what we're really talking about is to, to take away from this capitalist, like, you know, monetary exchange. There are some things that should be given, you know, and that's, I think you're, you're doing a fantastic job of doing that with think movement while also really bolstering up uh, the foundation and uh, the breadth uh, and depth that is movement culture currently. And, you know, it's not something that must do anything. It's something that will do essentially everything. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's such a, a neat, and it all circles back to like, I think it's good and I'm just going to keep doing it. And yeah. when I need to adjust, I'll adjust. And I'm just going to let it be what it is, um, which is a sweet ending. But I want to give you, I want to ask one question because I'm curious about you. Sure. Are your free session people different than your pay session people oh my god um they are currently uh and ju just that uh my my pay session people are i'm far more comfortable with them they're almost like an extension of family in a way that like we support each other and the relationship that we have you know right. because they they support the way i teach you know they honor the way i teach and they really appreciate what i have to give them you fit that's why you have them yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't think I can't sit with these other people, but they, the other people are very, the people who have been coming to me for the most part have been very scared, mm -hmm. um, you know, of themselves and of their bodies. And they have pains that they don't understand. And they're coming from this place of unknowingness and just this disconnection from themselves at varying degrees, because some of them are that way. Most, most of them are that way, but some of them are people who have like known me for a while and they already know what I'm about. So less less of that scaredness but more of that wanting to grow and yeah. i feel like the bulk of them have been in that place where they need change and they want something different and i've been really happy to to, to be able to afford them that opportunity for the most part um do you feel like you're starting that unraveling uh for a bunch of them yes one of them was a doozy so no um but i, I like I, I peeled the first layer mm -hmm. um I still got some room to grow on that one, but again, uh, help at whatever level you can help when you can without, you know, sacrificing self, you know, those healthy boundaries are there for a reason. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, sir, 1101.
We did a, an excellent job. Always a pleasure chatting with you. We'll be in touch soon, sir. Uh, be safe. Keep it. Keep the toilet paper. I got napkins. I'll send you some napkins, man. You need it. Uh, it's so funny. My mom's like this, like crazy hoarder in Chicago, and she mm. has like the upstairs bathtub was like full of paper towels and toilet paper. I'm like, Mom, now's your moment. <laughs> your time to shine. I know. Uh, like you did it. You knew it was coming. But, uh, but all right. Be safe. Be well. And I'll chat with you soon. Thank you, man. Bye.